Well, hello and welcome back everyone to another session of CCIRA's Literacy Conversation Podcast. I'm Lori Conrad, co-chair of the 2023 conference of You From Here. And I'm here right now with my co-chair, Patrick Allen. And today we're grateful and excited to have a conversation with Cornelius Minor, a self-described teacher who writes. Cornelius spends his time working alongside teachers and school leaders across the country. He's written You've Got This and has a number of upcoming pieces he'll talk about later in the podcast. Well, good morning, Cornelius. We're so happy to have a chance to talk with you this morning. Why don't we start with you giving our listeners just a little bit of background about you and your work? Oh my gosh, Lori, thank you. Like, um, Patrick, it is so exciting to be here with the both of you. Um, yeah, like I am a um, literacy educator from New York City, Brooklyn to be specific. Um, I wear it really, really proudly. Um, I spend my days in classrooms with kids and their teachers where I do classroom support, specifically around creating powerful classroom experiences um, for kids who have been historically marginalized in institutions like school. And so that means that I work with language learners. That means that I work with kids with IEPs. That means that I work um, with all kinds of kids in order to make school a much more powerful experience for them. And that work takes me all over the city and the world. I'm really lucky um, to spend most of my time here in New York City, but then I get to spend time um, with folks like you in Colorado. I spend time across the planet with people in Asia and Europe and Africa. Um, and so really my work is to ensure that schools do what they can to make sure that futures for kids are bright and bold and not abridged by policy, or by tradition. So Cornelius, as one of our keynote speakers next February, we know that you've been thinking um, a good deal about our conference theme of you from here. Uh, where has that pondering led you? Oh my gosh, like Patrick, you know, like I must say that when I got the note from you and Lori um, to come to the conference, like I was most excited. Well, of course I was excited about the two of you, but I was most excited <laughs> about like your conference thing um, that, um, you know, I spend a lot of time looking you know, that I am an urban cyclist. I ride a bike around New York City. I spend time on my roof, like looking out at my neighborhood. I spend time in the schoolyard, like looking and watching kids, right? In the tradition of like Yetta Goodman um, and that idea of kid watching, you know? And so I spend so much of my time viewing, looking. Um, and, and for me, looking is a powerful form of assessment, right? It's an incredible way to understand our communities and our schools and our neighborhoods, you know, and I think we exist in a time where we've kind of been hoodwinked to believe that assessment is a proper noun owned by the testing companies, right? And, and I love this idea that, that we can look. And so your conference theme of view from here is really rooted for me in that tradition of like listening and looking, you know, and, and so one of the things that really troubles me though about this historical moment is that I think a lot of people share my passion for looking and for collecting data and for understanding. We have spent the last two years in pandemic. We have spent the last few years in a revolution for human rights, you know, and people have spent a lot of time looking and understanding and thinking. Um, but it is my great fear right now that I don't know if people are spending enough time doing. 
right? And so when I think about the conference theme of view from here, it gives us an opportunity to think about what we see, you know, our views. It gives us that opportunity to think about what we have seen. But I think this conference stands at a powerful point in our in our growth and in our maturation, right? Because this conference can be the fulcrum where we kind of turn that looking into doing, right? That I I grow really afraid sometimes when you've got so many quote unquote experts or leaders who are really good at diagnosing problems or really good at diagnosing conditions, but not so good about architecting the path forward. And so for me, this conference and this theme is an opportunity to work across the state and across the region to engage in articulated co-construction of what it means to move forward in this moment. (laughs) Okay, thanks so much. That's great. Shoot, I'd like to believe that when Patrick and I came up with um, the theme, we had such a deep and and um, important uh, I- uh, implication around it. I mean, for us, we were really thinking just mm-hmm. that, how do we honor the fact that all of us see our world in different ways? And we need to think about the beauty yeah. in all of those views. But when you'd say it's like, but not, it's not just about looking, but it's moving to doing. So why don't you give us an example yeah. about um, something specifically that that is is uh, living in your work right now that feels like you're doing that bridge from seeing something. And thank you for for raising the name and spirit of Grandmother Yetta. I mean, goodness sakes, we don't we don't talk about yeah. her nearly often enough. Thank you very much. But um, how? What's you know that you see that bridge from moving from I see something I can name what I see I can understand what I see and here's the work that I'm doing because of that piece of data because it is it's just it's important valuable Absolutely. data it's what I see in my with my eyes and with my heart and what do I do about it so give us an example of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and I'll raise, you know, two more spirits, you know, like I think about um, the powerful conversation that Miles Horton had with Paolo Freire um, and they were talking about education and that conversation was um, kind of memorialized in a book. Um, and the two of them said, and it's the title of the book, but the two of them said that we make the road by walking, mm-hmm. right? That, mm-hmm. that this idea of looking, viewing, seeing data collection, right? That is assessment, if I may, right? That's us understanding the conditions of our world, us understanding the conditions of our community, of our great teams, of our classrooms, right? But one of the things that I always want to remind people is that the twin sibling of assessment is intervention. Once you understand, you got to do something, right? Mm -hmm. That assessment can't stand alone. Assessment for assessment's sake is colonialism, right? (laughs) Like it's just me taking, taking, taking. And so it's this idea that, okay, now that I understand my community, now that I understand my classroom, um, I got to do something. And so, and, and, and I think in teaching or in education, so many people get paralyzed at that point of do something because they don't want to do the wrong thing or they want to do it perfectly. And here's the thing. The first iteration of anything is never perfect. Right. And so if I look out and I see, you know, Lori struggling with the text, or if I look out and I see Patrick really, you know, laboring to make meaning in his writing, um, 
my first intervention is not going to be a perfect one, right? So I'm going to approach Patrick and I'm going to say, you're really laboring to make meaning in your writing. Here's the thing we can try, or here's the thing that we can try, or here's the thing that we can try. Our first steps are going to be really tentative and that's okay. But I think we have been, again, kind of lied to in education where we've been told that your first steps cannot be tentative. Your first steps have to be perfect. The thing that you do in response has to be up to this standard or it has to meet this metric. Um, and, and what we do is art as much as it is science, right? And we know that science is a process of making a hypothesis and, and then working toward it. And often there are bumps along the way and that hypothesis evolves, right? And so when I go to support Patrick, when I go to support Lori, I'm gonna make a hypothesis based on what I see, based on the view from here, right? And I'm gonna say, well, I think this is what might work with Patrick, or I think this is what might work with Lori. But then as I work with the two of you, I learn more. So mm -hmm. my process has to change, right? And so I think, the doing is dynamic and we have developed a profound phobia of the dynamic aspects of our work that everybody wants it to be a recipe everybody wants it to come from a workbook everybody wants it to be predictable right everybody wants to buy it in a box that ain't the way right you know and so i am really about embracing um the real nuanced nature of who we are and what we do and the communities that we serve Right. There's this notion that we have to um, we're going back to this one size fits all kind of mentality with with classrooms. And I, and I see it, uh, you know, happening everywhere. Um, yeah. A lot of times that 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 notion of intervention is, well, here, let's if we if we follow this systematic thing yeah. with these kids suddenly. It, it's going to be um, fixed. And, and and last time we chatted, you talked a little bit about that idea of um, compliance over proficiency. Yeah, that yeah, we're 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 looking for compliance rather than that 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 tentative nature of of discovering, exactly. so that that our interventions can be more proficient. Exactly, exactly. You know, and I and and I absolutely agree, Patrick. I think that, you know, this kind of pendulum swing toward this cult of compliance, right? That when people think often about well, what makes a good teacher or what makes a good student, you know, the first things that 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 some leaders want to see, the first things that some educators want to see is like compliance, sit still, does what I ask, you know, and, mm -hmm. and we know that that compliance has never really made any movement. When we look at the history of humankind, um, you know, the movements that we admire most were movements made by earnest listening and observation, and then co-construction, and then revision and reflection. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about your conference, when I think about what we get to gather to do there in Colorado, like that's what I'm most looking forward to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love when you talk yeah, about co-construction. Think... Hold on. Excuse me, Patrick. I love when you talk about co-construction because it's that you're underscoring the value of shared ownership, which yeah. can be so for me and and the the all the great good fortune i've had with with classrooms and children and colleagues when i shared the ownership of it it gave me so much more yeah. but taking sometimes taking that very first step into shared ownership 
can be so frightening because it is that like, well, but if I give, when we think of ownership or, 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 or the work being like a finite amount, and then if I share it, then I don't have as much, but the reality is it's not finite, it's infinite. And how do we do that? How do we, mm-hmm. that sense of inquiry and wonderment and, 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 and yeah. linking arms together mm-hmm. and it just, yeah. Exactly. And I think one of the things that the pandemic taught me, and and I hope that it has taught all of us, is that the work is too great. So if I am not co-constructing, then I am overworked and burned out, right? <laughs> you know, and so just like for my own preservation, like why would I not want to engage in articulated acts of co-construction? And so even I remember my first few lessons when we went remote. I didn't even know like what to do with the Zoom. Like, you know, like, and I remember, I mean, I'm sure so many of us remember those days. And there were kids in the class who were like, well, maybe you should do it like this. Or maybe when you turn your camera on, you can like start with a read aloud instead of with like, you know, our usual free write, you know? And so like, so we were all on this Zoom not knowing what to do and kids are pitching out ideas for how it could go. And so what became my virtual classroom wasn't my virtual classroom. It was our virtual classroom, like that right. that, that it was built from, you know, trial and error and people's like critiques and people's goodwill, mm-hmm. right? You know, like, cause I tried to kind of shoehorn my 50 minute class period into a 50 minute Zoom and that wasn't working for folks. And so- I even remember, um, you know, I have middle school and and there were middle school students during that early part of the pandemic or during the whole thing who were responsible for their younger siblings. Right. And so several of my students couldn't come to my Zoom because they had to ensure that their seven year old siblings were on their Zooms. Right. And so kids would come to my Zoom 15 minutes late, you know, and so. And, and, and I did that horrible middle school teacher thing where I'm like, why are you late? You're supposed to be on time. It matters, punctuality, all that stuff, right? But then the kids had to help me understand, no, this is how school goes now. Like first I log my brother on and then, you know, like, and then, you know, and yep. so I had to create classrooms with flexible start times. And that was co-construction. Had I not listened, had I not taken the time to consider the conditions that we were living in, um, then I would have created something oppressive. And so anything that is not co-constructed has the potential to do incredible harm to communities. Um, And so I think that verb co-construction is a really important one to me. Yeah. I think that what what I was going to say, Laura, is that, you know, it's not only are we looking um, for students to be compliant. So much of that is being um, thrust upon the classroom teacher themselves. And I used to have a sign, uh, it, it was a quote that came up during a conversation with my kids and I and I had it hanging in my room forever and it said, where choice lives, learning prospers. And I think that one of the things that I'd love to hear you talk about um, Cornelius, Cornelius is that idea of how choice can impact that co-construction of whatever. Absolutely. You know, and, and I, so I'm so happy that you brought up like both the teacher facing side of this and the kid facing side of this, mm-hmm. that I am a, just a big believer. I love that. Just like where choice lives, right. That, and, and so, um, I have been, you know, I've got a mentor and and I'll I'll talk a little bit about her, but I've got a wonderful mentor who used to watch me 
in my classroom and she would come once a week to watch and give feedback like good mentors do. And, um, and she noticed that, you know, I had, you know, in my middle school, we had a box curriculum and she noticed these moments where I would step away slightly from the box curriculum. And then she also noticed the moments where I would step entirely away from the box curriculum. And because mm -hmm. she was a good mentor, one of the things that she would say to me, she's like, Cornelius, like those moves that you're making are brilliantly responsive. I see exactly what you're doing. Like, I understand why you stepped away or I understand why you abandoned it entirely. Like, I see that. And I can even see your young teacher brain, like making those decisions as you watch your kids. Um, but she said, I fear for you, Cornelius, because you exist in a school and you exist in a system that values compliance. And she's like, I'm your mentor and I love you, but I'm so afraid that somebody else might walk in this room and see you stepping away and they're going to have something to say about that. Or worse yet, they're going to want to write you up, right? And um, and so and she's telling me this as a second year teacher, right? And so like, and this is my mentor and we're like discussing this together. And one of the things that she said to me is she said, Cornelius, like, I want to teach you how to use research to keep yourself safe because I see you making these instructional decisions, right? And, and she's like, I see the value in these instructional decisions because I've been here for 28 years. Like I see the value in these instructional decisions because I see how you've assessed the kids and how you've gotten to know them and how you're making decisions based on what you know of the kids. But she's like, but not everybody's gonna see this value. And some people who don't value this have power in this building and in this district, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's a very real thing that a lot of teachers face. Um, and so she said, again, I wanna teach you how to use research to keep yourself safe. Um, and so she taught me how to engage in action research and inquiry. Like, and so as a second year teacher, she taught me how to find a question and then how to think about my practice um, and how to change my practice in pursuit of an answer to that question. Right. Um, and, and so I would do these action research projects, these inquiry projects with her um, that would help me to arrive at like why I changed the curriculum in this way. Or that would help mm -hmm. me to arrive at like why I made these adjustments or these remixes. And she said to me, she's like, when people come in this room and they raise questions, now you get to say, so I saw this in the students. And when I saw this in the students, I asked the question, could I get a different outcome? And in order to get to a different outcome, I knew that I had three potential paths, this, this, or this. So I tried all three and these were the outcomes that they generated. And so this is the path that I decided to go down because it generated the most favorable outcome for students. Um, and so, but I had to learn how to do that. That idea of using research to keep myself instructionally safe and vocationally safe was a really important lesson and is one that serves me to this day. You know, And so I'm a big believer in choice Yes, but responsible choice. And so right. when I look at a curriculum that I have been handed, I know that it is not my job to execute that curriculum to the letter, despite what the person at the front of the room says, right? Rather, it is my job to get that curriculum or to get that mandate and then to look at my students first and to say, mm -hmm. what am I seeing? What, what are their strengths? You know, what are the things that help them to sustain their work? What are some ways that I can create more points of access for them? And are those things in this curriculum that I've been asked to do? If they are not, then how might I reimagine this curriculum so that my kids have greater access, so that my kids can find greater success? And when I reimagine it, I've got to measure my outcomes, right? And so when I reimagine, I can say, okay, I reimagine this or I remix this. 
Now let's see what my outcomes are. Are kids writing more? Are they thinking more? Are they reading more? Great. Then I'm on the right path, right? And so I am really into that idea of choice, not just as luxury, but Mm -hmm. as real moral imperative, right? That Mm -hmm. if I receive a mandate and I just follow it blindly, that means I'm not considering my kids. That means I'm not considering my community, right? And so the the real moral mandate, especially in this moment when kids need so much as we emerge from this pandemic, is to say, for everything that I'm asked to do as a teacher, how am I imagining that thing next to the realities of my students and their lives? And I think that that's really important. Well, that goes right back to what you, how we started this conversation is that the view, right, is the the, yeah. the brilliant children who are sitting in front of you, who are presenting yeah. what they need and what they're curious and, 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 and confused with. And then how yeah. do I take the resources that I have and then make decisions, the action based on that view versus yeah. acting in the absence of children? You know, in the absence of the view, like, like, like almost um, putting blinders on, like, I'm just going to do this because I've been told to do this, which without recognizing or acknowledging um, those lives that are sitting in front of us that we're we're responsible for. Our our colleague, Sam Bennett, always says, who's got your back? Meaning, what research (laughs) can you point to, to say, I've made this decision because this is what my students are presenting. And here's the additional yeah. backup that I have to say, to support me in the decision-making that I've done. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again, I'm so looking forward to this conference, you know, and I think um, I miss conferences. Right. And so the right. opportunity to like literally hang out, like, you know, so of course I'm looking forward to studying and co-constructing, but I'm really looking forward to just hanging out, you know, getting a chance to hang out with you, Lori and Patrick, I think is just going to be so fun. Um, you know, and the people of your state and of your region, like, I mean, you all have put together, you know, consistently one of the most powerful and engaging conferences, you know, I think about, you know, conferences where you go and have a good time, but it's a mm-hmm. whole nother thing to have a conference where you you go and emerge transformed. And, and you all yeah. have consistently done that over the years. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're sure, look, sure looking forward to having you come. Well, before we close up, tell us what you're working on now. What What's what's on your, your near and far horizon in terms of um, the kind of teaching and writing you're doing. Um, I know you're, you know, in addition to your bike riding, which I just absolutely am fascinated by the, I, I watched the two YouTubes that you sent us and I'm like, wow, I admire him. And I want to ride across the Brooklyn bridge every morning and watch the sunrise come up. That sounds just so cool, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'd have to drag Duncan along my big dog. And I don't think I could do it. He'd get tangled up and I'd fall down. It would be bad. But so what's, what's on your horizon? Oh, I mean, I'm doing so much, you know, it's summertime right now. So I am really enjoying rest and study. Um, And I think that is like um, paramount. So I'm like reading lots of like really cool books and and I'm a huge comic book fan. So I'm reading lots of comics. Um, But I, you know, and I think it's important to name that all of these things inform who I am in the classroom, right? So if I don't take these, these moments to really immerse myself in my bike rides or in comic books or in hip hop, then I am less of a teacher 
teacher in the fall because of it. And mm -hmm. so right now, my my curiosity is just on fire. I've been reading um, Milestone Comics. So if your listeners don't know Milestone Comics, I've been reading tons of Milestone Comics. It's probably um, my favorite comic imprint in existence. And they've got um, a series of great books out right now, um, really um, thinking and learning learning lots about like youth culture and what it means to be an upstander. And so mm -hmm. I've really been thinking lots about like um, the idea of heroism, um, but in our contemporary times, like what is a hero when you can't punch the bad people, right? Like, you know, that the bad mm -hmm. people now is policy, right? The bad people now is, you know, gerrymandering or redlining, right? Like the bad people is, you know, predatory loans or like, you know, like, you know, and so what what is it when the bad guy is intangible? Like, how do you remain an upstander? And I've been learning lots from reading comics, been listening to tons of music, right? You know anybody with a soul and hips is listening to the Beyonce album right now so I like know. so I'm <laughs> so 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 lots of that um but then I'm also doing a little bit of writing I'm, I'm working with an incredible group of collaborators we're putting together um a volume on the intersections of hip-hop comic books and and literacy and so I'm really excited I am writing a chapter right now about my um my most literate day and so it's framed around um two really powerful albums in my life Nas's first album Illmatic and then Outkast's second album AT mm -hmm. Aliens and so I'm writing a lot about that right now um that'll be out pretty soon um I um have you know just finished um a ton of you know like um experiences for kids you know I spend a lot of my summer really thinking about um what experiences might I want to curate next fall and so I like to kind of think about ideas and jot them down so that when kids come around in the fall I can say you know here are 12 things that I was thinking about this summer like which four or six do you all want to try this year and so I'm getting that stuff ready um yeah so you know I'm being a dad all that all the stuff right <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so wonderful yeah Oh, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Excellent. But yeah, like I am just so excited about the work that the two of you are doing. I'm really excited about, you know, the, the great educators in your state and in your region. I am so again, just honored to have this invitation that you all would think enough of me and my work to invite me um, means the world. Yeah. And so oh, thanks. Good. Thank you. We're, we're looking forward to it. Um, yeah when we when we when we decided to uh to do this co-planning we had no idea what it involved and it's it's <laughs> been it's been a challenge but it's been so exciting every time we got a yes back from you know the the people we invited it just kept moving us forward and and our view is changing you know yeah, about, yeah. Um, and you know and one of the funny things patrick you know i am such an apprentice to so many of your guests who are going to be at the conference. I'm such a student to the work that they put into the world. So I am looking forward to being there just as a learner to like, yes. you know, someone who is a student to all of these like folks. And so I just can't wait. And that I get to sit at the same table just kind of like puts it over the top for me. <laughs> so. Nice, nice. Well, that's yeah. certainly our and feeling. It's small too. and intimate, you know. You know, yeah. it's going to be fun. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, cool. Well, that you and Lori have done this. Um, again, I'm a fan. Like I, <laughs> I told you all before, I am so into the two of you. I think you two are just incredibly beautiful. Like your commitment, not just to our profession, but to our people means everything to me. So well, thank you yeah. very much. Thank and, you very much. And thank you for this time. It's been really wonderful. And um, we'll let you know when the podcast drops. I think that's the term, right? Cool. Drops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Thanks All right. so much. Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to CCIRA.org. On CCIRA.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. We also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading. You can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. Or you can find us on Facebook where we also have a members only group that we're trying to build. And our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. We'd love to hear more from you. And again, if you're looking for new content, please send any questions or things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to CCIRA video at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.